Hello, my name is Nick, and this is Insignis. So, complementary and alternative medicines are multi-billion dollar industries in the U.S. alone. What I mean when I say complementary medicines are treatments like herbs, vitamins, minerals, um, some traditional Chinese medicine, homeopathy, naturalopathy, and a bunch of specialized diets as well. These are things that um, people use as their own treatments sometimes. And that's what the, today's paper is going to be about. So before we get into that, though, while this isn't necessarily relevant to the paper, or you can decide how relevant it is to the paper, I'd like to say a few words on placebos. So I kind of like Latin, so I'll mention that placebo is Latin for I shall please, or so it's kind of become, if you do a little bit more reading, then it seems that the original use was a translation from a Hebrew Bible, and it actually meant I shall walk, um, but it's really not that important. Um, and this is interesting because the origin of what a placebo is is different from what it has become. A placebo used to be an intentional deceit of the patient by the doctor who would knowingly use a useless medicine um, for the patient but present it as though it was a miracle cure. Now, the word placebo refers much more to the intentional effect a patient's perspective has on medicine given um, and no intentional deceit is involved. The use in your typical kind of placebo-controlled trial is kind of like the first use, though, except ideally no one knows that the patient is being given a placebo, so you can't really refer to it in the same way. The first recorded use of a placebo was in a controlled medical study in the 1700s, and where it was essentially used to rule out whether kind of magic objects were able to heal people or not. Um, and it actually did its job in that case. And it disproved um, the effect of just giving someone an object and having that sort of magically heal them. So placebos have kind of been doing a service to medicine for quite a while now in sort of the use that they're used in now. Um, but in their other use, their use as a treatment, well, the great thing about placebos is that they work. If you believe that you'll feel less pain after you take a pill, no matter what the pill contains, there's a significant proportion of people that will indeed feel less pain. One thing you may recognize as a placebo but not realize was used for several centuries as kind of a real treatment is something called the royal touch. This is where you simply place your hands on a patient in an attempt to treat their illness. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You often see this kind of thing in like miracle healings on TV or made fun of in movies. Uh, and this was a thing that was actually used for quite a while as kind of a, a real treatment. Uh, and now we would consider that to be certainly a placebo. But as early as the 1930s, it was even commented on in scientific journals about the importance of the doctor-patient relationship. And how this may in itself be something of a placebo. The amount you trust in your doctor's decisions and treatments may make their treatments more effective. And in the 1950s, they did some studies comparing two treatments where the only difference was that one doctor offered more attention and time to the patient 
and the other doctor offered less. And there was a 35% difference in outcomes. This is an old study, kind of shaky methods. Some of the patients felt less pain, but it just goes to show that people have been looking at the placebo effect for quite a while and that it can be a quite large effect as well. The mechanism behind the placebo effect is still being studied, but is very interesting. If you give a patient a placebo painkiller after surgery, and then several hours later, you give them naloxone. So naloxone is a drug that kind of blocks the effect of morphine. Then these patients who responded to the placebo will have worsened pain after taking naloxone. Um, and those that did not respond to placebo will show no change with naloxone. So this hints that perhaps the placebo effect on pain may be mediated partly by our own natural opioid system. And placebos kind of offer us sort of an ethical dilemma as well. So what do you do when you know the procedure is a sham, but doing the fake procedure has better outcomes than routine care. Is honesty more important than patient health in this case? You might even be able to get around this a little bit because some studies show that even patients who are aware that they're taking a placebo may still benefit. Two quite recent studies, uh, one on inflammatory bowel disease and one on chronic back pain, were able to demonstrate this as recently as 2016 and 2010. Uh, so this isn't something from the bygone era either. Uh, similarly, work by Weschler et al. in 2011 showed that a placebo is able to significantly reduce the symptoms of asthma, but the actual physiological benefit, that is being able to breathe better, um, will only improve when you give them real medications. So what we could say that maybe placebos are only useful for treating symptoms, but not the problem, then if you consider pain where symptoms are subjective and these symptoms are the problem, here work has shown that some cases placebos can even relieve the symptoms and modify the disease progression itself. Because of this kind of global effect that the perception can have on drugs, the result is that some drugs are actually less effective than they were when they were released. And this is why it's really important for trials to be done and done well before releasing drugs so that we know what, how they actually work and how well they actually work um, on a physiological level. As I was kind of saying before, a lot of talk about placebos turns into a question of ethics because this is possibly a beneficial tool. And then you have the potential of actually helping a lot of people with it that experience subjective symptoms. On the other hand, though, this would involve purposefully deceiving patients. And we don't currently condone that action as ethical practice. Either way, though, in the future, it's an option for helping people, and maybe until we find something that helps them a little better. Um, but so far, at least in North America, it's, it's a no-no. <laughs> All right, so on today's paper, and while it seems like common sense to some to think that if you don't do what your doctor tells you, then you're less likely to get better, but unfortunately for the vast majority of history, this probably wasn't true. I'd have to say 
that likely only in the last 50 years that doctors have really had a pretty good idea of what they're talking about and the means to be able to do anything about it. The medical community has had it wrong enough times for, you know, it not to be ridiculous for some populations to be wary, but the progress that's been made in the last two decades has been incredible in terms of scientific advancements in the medical field. Then the next couple decades are simply going to be a marvel. But since medicine's track record hasn't been as good as we might like it to be, and humans are kind of a superstitious bunch, there are many that believe that modern medicine may not be offering all that they need. And so they move on to what a lot of people call kind of complementary medicine, is what we're going to be calling it for today, um, to fill in the gaps or even to replace medical treatment altogether. It's been shown through many studies that complementary medicine, such as massage, acupuncture, yoga, and meditation, can improve quality of life from anywhere of about 50% to even up to almost 90% of patients who have cancer and use such practices. That being said, nearly two-thirds of patients with cancer believe that complementary medicine will prolong their life, and as much as one-third believe that it could cure their disease. How much of that is entirely wishful thinking and how much is false promises made by others, I can only speculate, but this is an opportunity for some education. So today's study is a retrospective observational study of data from the National Cancer Database from about 2 million people to look at the relationship between the use of complementary medicine and refusal of conventional cancer therapies. This next point has to do with the study population and is very important for the validity of the results. All the patients included in this study had undergone at least one conventional treatment, those being chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgery, or hormone therapy. And by the nature of this data being collected in the setting of that kind of treatment, so it's important to note that patients that decided never to even consider real medicine, oops, I mean, sorry, conventional therapy, slip of the tongue, um, were not included here. Um, because they wouldn't have been caught in the study population. So this may lead to possibly underestimating the effects that belief in complementary medicine could have. Also, of course, patients had to have reported that they were using treatments other than those given by their doctor. Um, And so this may bias in the other direction, because we tend not to necessarily tell our doctors everything. Um, So this study sought to investigate the relationship between the use of complementary medicine and mainly with treatment delay, um, because that's what it had the largest effect on, and then also link that with survival of the patient. So of the 1.9 million patients studied, only 258 were recorded to have chosen complementary medicine. This is a really low number in my opinion, Um, but the study goes on. So this population of people that chose complementary medicine was most likely to be female, have breast cancer or colorectal cancer, have a high socioeconomic status, a high education level, and as well as having private insurance. This will be relevant in a minute, but think about that population I just mentioned and the health outcomes that you expect from this kind of population. Female, rich, 
well-educated and privately insured. So of everyone included in this study, everyone received at least one form of conventional treatment. And then those that told their doctor that they took part in complementary medicine were more likely to refuse other conventional treatment. As well, these patients who chose complementary medicine had a higher risk of death. But if you control for treatment adherence, then the risk of death doesn't change. So this kind of leads us to believe that complementary medicine itself is not innately harmful um, in the treatments that it does, um, but that it may be getting in the way of conventional treatment. And that's what the problem could be. So let's just get back to the population I described. The people in the study who used complementary medicine are pretty much the definition of the longest living people. So it may not be a stretch to think that there could be some survival bias here. Maybe others who would be in that group didn't live long enough to be well presented. Or maybe even they just simply felt too underprivileged to mention to their doctors with enough confidence that they were taking other medicines. But it's hard to say. An interesting finding was that the higher the stage of the cancer, meaning the further the cancer has progressed, the greater the likelihood of choosing complementary medicine. But from this study, it's kind of hard to tell if late-stage cancers motivated more patients to seek out complementary medicine, or if patients that selected complementary medicine were presenting with further progressed cancers because of the delay in screening and diagnosis. All in all, from this study, the use of complementary medicine in this study was associated with a 1.2 to 2 hazard ratio, meaning that you're about 70 to 100% more likely to die if you use complementary medicine versus not. Of course, this doesn't necessarily mean that, um, but there's an association. And that's all we can say because this is a retrospective study, an observational study, but that's probably the best kind of data we're ever going to get on this subject because it really wouldn't be ethical to randomize patients to not be treated with standard care in this kind of scenario because we're quite confident that conventional therapy certainly has a benefit. What's also important in the study was that it was not specific for the types of complementary medicine that were used. Instead, they were grouped together just as a whole, likely because they didn't actually have that many people who used complementary medicine. Um, so these treatments, what they consider complementary medicine, um, were kind of all of the following. They had herbs and botanicals, vitamins and minerals, probiotics, um, traditional Chinese medicine, homeopathy, naturalopathy, deep breathing, yoga, tai chi, uh, qijong, I don't know that one, <laughs> um, acupuncture, chiropractic and osteopathic manipulations, um, meditation, massage, prayer, special diets, progressive relaxation, and guided imagery. But it's not that people simply did these things. If you do yoga, that doesn't mean anything necessarily, but it's the they were consciously using these things as treatments for their disease. These findings, like I said, have a lot of holes in them, but it's still important since it's obvious that many people are going to use complementary medicines. And if we're not careful, then patients won't talk to their doctors about what they're doing either. It's of the utmost importance then for doctors to address and discuss 
other options of care, like complementary medicine use, and the importance of adherence to conventional therapy, even if they decide to pursue that. Personally, I really think that this sort of study is important. It shows some of the failings that the medical field has. While it will likely never be possible to completely satiate a patient's desire um, when they're looking for something to feel like they're contributing to their health, especially when conventional therapy is kind of run out of options, we may be able to do a better job than we're doing now. Complementary medicines are obviously offering something that we're not, something that some patients feel that they're missing. So what is that thing that medicine's missing? And how can we help with it, especially in a way that doesn't inadvertently harm the patient either through their own actions or through ours? So today's paper was by Schuyler et al. titled Complementary Medicine, Refusal of Conventional Cancer Therapy and Survival Among Patients with Curable Cancers um, from the JAMA Oncology 2018. Uh, some other resources that I use when preparing the intro and about placebos um, are available, and you'll find them in the show notes. I've been your host, Nick Zelt, and this is Insignus. Thank you.